In this first episode of Speaking of Stories, you'll meet two writers who both depict the criminal world of gangs. In their books, we get to know people thrown between violence, everyday life, and relationships. One of the writers live in Los Angeles and portray the lawless days in the city during the riots in 1992, which occurred after the acquittal of the police officers who beat Rodney King to death. My name's Ryan Gaddis, and I'm the author of All Involved. In Swedish, it's called Sex Dagar. The second writer lives in Stockholm, the capital of Sweden, and works as a lawyer and writer. In several books, he has portrayed organized crime in Sweden. My name is Jens Lapidus. I'm a lawyer and I'm an author, and I'm the author of a couple of books. The latest is called Stockholm Delete. I have one question for you, Ryan, because you're writing uh, with a lot of insight into detail, uh, everything from how people dress to what they eat to music graffiti, everything. And I, one of the hardest parts, I think, when I'm writing is research and getting the right tone, because we all know the kind of literature we write. If you don't get it right, it will turn out extremely ridiculous. And there's some kind of a gut feeling there where even readers that are not so into what you write about will still be able to sort of smell when it's not true. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's hard as it is to get it right. But for you, writing about something that took place 92. It mm. must be even harder. So I'm wondering, how were you researching? I think the research really was two-pronged. You know, on one side, I had all the traditional roots. So I had every book of nonfiction I could possibly find. I had the LA Times archive. I had, of course, what I could remember of 92 in popular culture, but that simply wasn't enough. You know, I was I was lucky enough to be connected Uh, with some former gang members, as well as firefighters, nurses, California Highway Patrol officers, graffiti kids, you know, and it, and it was really a matter of deciding to interview those people as a novelist, not as a journalist, because I'm not a journalist, I never have been. And there's, I think, a, a, an absolute antipathy uh, within the Latino uh, street gang community, really, that the subculture, uh, to anyone who might reveal the inner workings of those types of organizations. So I went in and, and said, look, I'm a novelist, you know, I, but, but what I can tell you is, you know, I've been doing my research and uh, I can't understand the numbers. For example, there were over 11,000 fires during those six days in 1992. Can you tell me what that smelled like? You know, and, and so I tried to find that way in, uh, in a way, uh, Being able to speak to all of these people who were there in 92, have vivid memories of it. Yeah, I made it clear, look, I, I don't want to know what you did. <laughs> But what music were you listening to? What were your hopes? What were your dreams? It was as if I was trying to build, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, kind of a, a, a spiritual firmament you know, with which to kind of pull down these details, create these characters. And then later I would go back to these people and I would say, quite straightforwardly, hey, And I think we know, as writers, like, ooh, I don't know if this detail is right. But then I would just ask people, hey, does this sound right to you? And they would be very straightforward. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to change mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I just feel incredibly blessed mm-hmm. to, to have had, you know, that level of access, but also um, been, been given um, the key, so to speak, to telling that story. But did you have it? I mean, did you have it already or did you 
work to get the access. I mean, for me, it's a lot of my research is carried out for free, so to speak. I mean, sure. I have the access in the form of my clients and the things that I see when I'm in court as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if I write about the inside of a prison, that's because I've been on the inside of a prison, not as a prisoner, but you know, visiting my clients. Yes. And so a lot of the stuff I get from that, or if I write about a crime scene, I've seen so many pictures of crime scenes in all the police reports that I, you know, I know how it looks like at a crime scene. So I get that for free. So I honestly, I'm pretty lazy. I don't, I don't mm. do much work. I don't do much directed research, but you now what you're telling me that you did loads as far as I understand, but did you already have those channels into, for example, the gang word, or did you sort of would it have been possible to get there without already having some uh, connections? You know, I don't. I don't think it would. You know, I, I, for me, the major turning point in, in my life was uh, being asked to join a street art crew in Los Angeles. That I think gave me a certain level of respect that I never would have had on my own. When those guys asked me to join, they'd been working for nearly 20 years uh, in really some of the roughest neighborhoods, to just putting up art, you know, trying to make the city better. And there's a very real, very tangible respect that comes from that. Um, but I, also, I think they were very aware of the fact that I'm an outsider. I'm from Colorado originally. I'm not from L.A. So when they asked me if I wanted to join, knowing that I'm not a visual artist, and I said, well, you know, how is this going to work, guys? And they said, it's an experiment. We like you. We think, you know, we're on the same wavelength. Let's give it a try. Do you want to do it? I said, yes. They said, great. Now you're our intern. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm doing a 10-month internship, essentially, on the streets of Los Angeles. You know, I'm going to Boyle Heights. I'm going to Lincoln Heights, City Terrace, Linwood, Compton, mm -hmm. what have you. And, and my... My biggest job, apart from carrying paint, <laughs> you know, as a as a thirty three year old, you know, English professor, <laughs> when and during my free time carrying paint all over L A, um, my job was to run interference, as it's called, simply because we'd had we had had deadlines for the murals. So, when people would come up in these neighborhoods, hey, what are you doing? What do you want to do? It was up to me to speak to them, and so that that really started the journey. And, and then for, forgive me for going on about it, but uh, it was about, it was a few weeks before some of the people I'd been speaking to regularly at some of these mural sites revealed, oh yeah, you know, I used to be in a gang or whatever. And it just kind of mushroomed from, from there. Of course, those networks are so strong, the former gang members, others will just speak to each other and it, and it just travels down the line. And there was one particular day, you know, I was about three to four months into it. Uh, and I didn't honestly know that I was writing a book at that point. I was really just trying to get to know the city, my new adopted city. And I was summoned to Linwood, and that was the actual word that was used. Mm -hmm. I showed up uh, at, at a Mexican restaurant. You know, I walked through the door. I was recognized immediately, which is actually pretty easy. You know, I was the only white mm -hmm. boy in the whole place. I got guided through this uh this dining area that was full of uh, families and couples eating. And then there was this huge, wide, empty chunk of floor. And then one table in the far back of the restaurant where I was told to sit. I was really worried about this, this, this meeting because I was meeting with a guy who would decide whether or not I could keep even talking to people. And he said, actually, he didn't say anything. He put his hand up. And he said, phone. 
I had to give him my phone before we could even speak. Once that happened, it got taken away. Uh, from there, it was strictly an interrogation. And I think the thing that I found out worked incredibly well for me. And this is, you know, for, this kind of brings me back into part of my own life and, and, and how this works with my research. You know, I told him about my own history being a survivor of violence. You know, when I was 17 years old, uh, my nose was torn out of my face. I had two facial reconstructive surgeries. You know, I couldn't properly smell and taste for over a year. You know, and I'm telling it to this guy who has had far worse happen to him. But this story of pain, this story of being a survivor really connected us. It no longer mattered where I was from originally or how I looked or where he was from originally or how he looked. It actually opened up uh, it's just a gateway between us. And I think that really started uh, the, the very long process and a journey of earning trust. Did you get, have you gotten any comments from uh, like former gang members or people? I mean, they must be older today, the people you're describing. Yes, If they're still alive, they must be like in their 50s. Well, it, it depends. There's absolutely a range, you know, and, and it's even mentioned in the book. You know, there there's, are quite active gang members at, at 25 and there are some who are even 12, mm. you know, in 92. So I, I have gotten comments and I think the most chilling slash incredible thing I've ever heard about my fiction Uh, was a was a former gang member coming to me after having read, you know, the first section of the book with Ernesto, and saying, "It felt like I was being stabbed again." Reading your writing felt like I was being stabbed again, and that's, you know, for me again as a survivor of violence, that meant the world to me, because fiction gives us this wonderful uh, ability to not put the reader at risk physically but to take them to emotional and psychological places where they can hopefully understand what other people go through and ideally build empathy along the way. And I get a lot of comments from readers in Sweden saying, you know, oh, it's so authentic, the thing, the stuff you do. And, you know, I never tell them, but I think you don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. Sure. If you have this white middle-class person or journalist on one of the big papers in Sweden saying it's so authentic, what the fuck are you talking about? You don't know if it's authentic yeah. or not. It's the field what test. Do you know? It's yeah. the field test. The only people who know are the ones out there who really live in the streets and know know the stuff. So, but I, I was once, <laughs> I, was, I just have a funny story about this. I was uh, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Uh, I, I was sharing a room with this guy from Norrköping, which is is an, another town in Sweden, mm. and he's a Syriac guy. And he was telling me, you know, in Norrköping, we're not using the word svenne. So svenne is a derogative word sometimes used among, like, immigrants for Swedes. So svenne is a very common slang word that most people know in Sweden. Mm -hmm. But he was saying, we don't use svenne. We use lasse. We use this other word, lasse. In Norrköping, we use lasse. I was going, great. I'm going to use lasse in all of my books. So in a couple of books, I think it's used in I'll Never Fuck Up. It's used in Life to Lux. I use it for a couple of years. I use it in my books. It's a good, great, you know. Uh, and, and then it comes back to me after a couple of years. And I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, no reader ever commented on that. Everybody just felt, wow, this is uh, another word. This is, you know, similar word to Sven. You can use Lasse. It's, uh, mm. And it works. It still works. Uh, but anyway, so if I ever got comment, No, I mean, I have an, another sort of challenge. And that is uh, the duty not to disclose I mean, the client turn the privilege, as it is called in English. Meaning, I have a client, he talks to me, and we have uh, 
that that's in in a sort of uh, protected by trust and it's protected by non-disclosure so he should know if he talks to me he will not see that in a book two years later absolutely yeah. uh, so I always have to be very careful when I write that I do not take actual cases and just put them in the book or actual characters or my mm -hmm. clients suddenly appear in my book mm -hmm. and as long as I'm conscious about it it's okay but the problem starts when you forget so you get this great idea about something and you forgot that you actually got it from mm. one of your real clients or someone, real person that you met. So I try to, so the method I use basically, which I think is, is a common method, is to mix. It's this collage sort of thing, you know, you take something from there, you take something from there, you take something from there and you create a character and that character is not similar to a real physical person. Artistic liberty, artistic collage. Yeah, that, that's how I work. Once I got uh, the approval of a client, in, mm. in my third book, Life Deluxe, Leave It Deluxe, I'm depicting a, a bank robbery or a, a cash depot robbery sort of thing. And that's based on the real thing that happened in Gothenburg a couple of years ago. So I had to ask the client, is it okay that I use this very mm. real case and you know the background material and, and, and he was okay with that. And I think, honestly, most people living in the world that I describe, they appreciate that at least one Swedish author actually described the world they live in and try to do it as sort of authentic as I can. Do you think that's also because you focus on the humanity of the characters? You know, you have Murado and, and his relationship with his daughter, and you really delve into that as well in Easy Money. Yeah, I well, think, I mean, like you said, I have two goals with my writing, and I think, I mean, the same as you said, one is to entertain, and the other is to take the reader on a journey, and mm -hmm. that journey to go into the head of people that you normally don't identify with, and get them to see the world via the eyes of those people, and there might even be people committing crimes and, and people committing evil stuff, but you still see the world, and maybe for a few seconds, when you read, you understand something about these people, and, and that's, you know, that's my goal. Speaking of stories, we'll continue soon. After the break, Ryan Gaddis and Jens Lapidus talk about the difference between reality and fiction and whether or not a writer can affect reality by glamorizing violence. Speaking of stories now continues with Jens Lapidus and Ryan Gaddis, who talks about the importance of being loyal to your characters. It was incredibly important to me while writing the book never to judge my characters, you know, to simply uh, portray them a as strongly as I possibly could, make their, their journeys, their difficulties, their struggles uh, heavy <laughs> for them and hopefully also for the reader, and then step back and let, let the reader decide, you know, how, how they feel about Payasa doing what she does or, mm -hmm. or any of the other characters for that matter. I was I was once asked. I, I gave a lecture once here in Sweden to a couple of policemen in one mm. of the most disturbed neighborhoods, which you can never ever compare to anything in LA. But still, there's a lot of crime happening here too. And one of the policemen uh, is ra raises his arm, and he said, "You know, every time we make a bust in a young gang member's apartment here, every single time we see we find two things." We find a poster of Al Pacino in yep. Scarface, yep. and I think that's sort of international. You it, know. Is. it is. And we you find can find that in L.A. too. You find it in L.A., <laughs> I'm sure. And we find one of your books. First, I was just, wow, cool. You know, they read my stuff and they enjoy it and so forth. But, but the policeman was, 
critical. So his question was really, are you glamorizing or are you putting, are you romanticizing a criminal lifestyle? Do they read your books as some kind of a how-to how or have you ever come across that view that people think that you kind of uh, describe it in a, in a way that it might actually impress people or make people mm -hmm. uh, uh, try to live that way that some, some of your characters do? Or? You know, I haven't yet, but I, but I certainly... You know, the, the book hasn't been out long enough, I think, to, you know, you have quite a track record. You have uh, the, the time period yes, for, uh, for that absolutely. to happen over. You know, it, it's interesting. You know, I, I certainly, you know, a number of the former gang members who spoke to me, you know, ha have really been quite positive about the book and about how it depicts that particular time in that particular place. Uh, I think in a way, though, the, the, the conversation I end up having inevitably in almost every interview is, well, you know, your book is really violent. <laughs> I get mm. that. It's like, is there a question coming? You know, because I feel like you're just making a comment right now. And, and all, I, all I simply say is, you know, yes, it absolutely is. You know, but again, I, I don't ever set down to write as, as someone who glorifies violence or, or, you know, wants to make it acceptable. You know, I shoot for the truth. You know, the truth as, as it feels true for me, having been someone who, uh, you know, my life completely changed, you know, the day I was struck. You know, my life was on a very specific path, and then that happened, and I basically had to recover for very nearly a year, and then I went off in another direction. And I think all I ever strive to do is, is depict the consequences of violence and, and, and how ultimately it's something that you know, we never want to, to happen to ourselves or our loved ones, that, that it's actually a deeply horrible thing. However, it happens every day and it but happens I think in you, every country. You're really depicting violence in a really uh, horrific way. You don't want to, I mean, it's some, some of the scenes in your book are very, I mean, you're very close to the violence. You're really there. And you, I, I mean, so you really get, uh, I think, uh, an antidote to violence reading oh. your book. I, I, that, that's what I believe. Well, I just came back from LA, and it 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 um, it struck me. I mean, I've been there before, but now I was there with my family, and it struck me that it's really so many cities in one city. It's so many different words in one word. I mean, first of all, physically, the the city area is sprawling. It's so huge mm -hmm. that you can. You, I mean, you can travel and travel for hours, and you're still in LA. Mm -hmm. uh, then. Uh, there seem to be so many sort of centers. Mm -hmm. It's not like New York, where it's Manhattan definitely is the center of New York. Here you have many centers. And there are probably demographical reasons and, and race reasons for, for all of this, too. So I've been wondering, have you ever been thinking of, you're a white guy, you're educated to uh, socially more, uh, I don't know the English word really, but... Um, Socially. Different ethnicity, a different class. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really important question, and, and I'm really glad you asked, because in my experience, you know, if you come to it initially and decide, I want to write about these things, and then you don't ever spend time with these folks, you don't ever do any kind of, uh, you don't put your boots on the ground, so to speak. Um, you know, you've done it in, in, in your law work. You've met folks like this. You know, in my case, I think 
if I had simply been where I'm from and just one day decided I want to tell a gang story and just written it, I think that question is entirely valid. And, and to be honest, the answer is probably, yeah, you don't have a right to do it. But in this case, I earned it. I spent a tremendous amount of time in Linwood, nearly two and a half years on and off doing interviews. I still stay in touch with 90% of the people I spoke to. Uh, you know, and it comes from, I think, being respectful, at least for me, starting with respect, being honorable. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. You know, focusing on the humanity, never once, you know, holding, you know, people I spoke to at, at, at arm's length or, or trying to make them into a stereotype. Instead, just try to view them as, as an accumulation of their circumstances and choices, perhaps in, in, in some ways how I might view a character later on uh, when, I'm, when I'm doing work. But I think also, and, and you know, maybe, uh, maybe this is just me. This is just how I tend to view it. You know, th there needs to be, and unfortunately I don't have an English word for it, but I have a Spanish word, cariño. Love and respect. You know, I love Latino culture. L Latinos are the majority demographic in Los Angeles. As they go, so go the city. I, I love Mexican food. I mean, you know, it, it's hard, I think, to completely understand Los Angeles if you don't understand this culture. And yet the United States has this tremendously long uh, history of, of denying the ways in which, you know, Chicanos and Latinos have helped build uh, the nation, in particular the city. Uh, so, so for me, it's, it's, it's of course, cariño, but it's also coming to it humbly and, and just saying, you know, I would love to be able to do this and then speaking to people, you know, for whom it's, it's not fake. Could you not have written the same book about black gang members? Uh, you know, I, I suppose I, I could have, but for me, I think it would have involved a fairly similar process. You know, uh, uh, speaking to people, making sure that the background was right, you know, making sure the details were right, running them by people, checking. You know, that's incredibly important to me. And I think t to this day, uh, one of the things I, I do uh, feel good about is, is that, that, man, that was the best book I possibly could have written. I, sp I spent a lot of time double-checking facts, whether it was research in terms of making sure it was, it was a rock-solid historical novel or double-checking details to make sure that, that, that the action scenes played smartly, and at least to me, were more than a little bit terrifying because of the intelligence of, of those involved. Uh, you know, that, that was incredibly important to me. I, you know, I never wanted to fall into the trap that Hollywood is so good at creating, which is, you know, the dumb protagonist, you know, the folks from, or the dumb antagonist, excuse me, um, the folks from the other side of the tracks who are just mainly set up to make the good guys look good. Uh, I, you know, I kind of wanted to flip it a little bit. I was primarily interested in, in the Latino viewpoint because the narrative of the LA riots is so black and white. You know, it, it was, it was Rodney, what happened to Rodney King and it was happened, what happened to these four white police officers, three of whom uh, were found not guilty, one of whom uh, no verdict was reached. Uh, problem with that is when, where it all falls down is actually one of those officers was Latino, Briseño. Mm -hmm. And and I was just curious. Again, L.A. is such a multifaceted city. And, you know, you mentioned uh, New York earlier. I think you're absolutely right how you view the city of Los Angeles. For me, it's a hot horizontal, whereas New York is a cold vertical. You know, there is no one single center. And, and, and Los Angeles as a city 
is in many ways a myth. It's really L.A. County we talk about. That's really what we mean when we talk about Los Angeles because in our heads we mean Santa Monica, Pasadena, Venice, you know, all of these areas. I mean, if you ask a Swedish person, no one can tell the difference between Santa Monica and L.A. or what the valley for, for us. You know, it's all L.A. You want to hear something funny, (laughs) though? A lot of L.A. people can't either. What I like about many L.A. authors, including you, and what I also try to do with Stockholm is really that the city becomes an important character in the the book. And uh, that that means a lot really to try to, to, to find the atmosphere of different areas in Stockholm uh, and try to depict that in, in my stories. Uh, I'm, I also have this sort of goal in my writing to take myself and my authors into rooms or arenas or parts of the city where people normally don't go. So, for example, into the prisons or into the... Um, the, the 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 rooms of organized crime uh, gangs, or into the um, dealing of narcotics, or into the brothels, places that you know people are vaguely aware that they exist, but you don't see it. You walk the streets of Stockholm and you feel, oh, this is so clean and nice, and this city is so beautiful, you know. And and I want to take people behind the facade and and into these areas. So I have I have this sort of mission to show all of Stockholm, <laughs> the underbelly also, um, which is something I get from my job, of course, as a lawyer that, that I see more up sure. close. Yeah, you already see a different side of it. And, and yeah. just saying, just hearing what you were saying about, you know, showing all of Stockholm, you know, I, that really resonates for me because that's, that's really how I wrote All Involved. I mean, Linwood is a place that people in L.A. don't even know exists. And if they do, it's because they drive over it. You know, in the book, in 92, the 105 freeway is being built. It's an elevated freeway. Uh, it basically takes people to the airport, but it means that you drive, you know, 25 feet, 30 feet above Linwood, Compton, Inglewood, some of these places that are essentially no-go areas. And that's that's also, you know, that resonated for me because that's really what I'm trying to do too, like show a broader world for people who might not necessarily, especially in L.A., they have certain circumferences they live their lives in. Mm. And what I found was when I spent time in Linwood and I spoke to people, some of these folks have lived their entire lives in 20 blocks. I talked to people who hadn't even been to the beach, and that just blew my mind, you know, that the, 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 the size of a world could, could literally be a neighborhood. You know, I, I really wanted to write and not just make Linwood a character, but make Los Angeles a character in, in my own book. Because, you know, when you have 17 narrators, at least for me, uh, really, you know, the most important, most consistent thread is the city mm. and how it's affecting these people and how it's creating or taking away choices. I don't write nonfiction. It's fiction. So things happen that do not happen and I don't always make up names, new names. Sometimes I mention a bar or a, or a club or a place by its real name, and something bad happens there. Um, that isn't so. But I think you have to remember that what I'm what I'm about is fiction. It's not that I'm trying to write this sort of documentary on on on, on contemporary Stockholm. Um, however, since I'm using a lot of true detail and a lot of authentic detail. Some people might mix it up and, and believe that I'm doing that I'm trying to that, that what I'm doing is saying real things about real 
people and real places. Uh, but I try to be quite clear about that. And sometimes people see things that's not even there. So I have, in I think in uh, Snabakash, the first book and the second book, there's like rich men having a party in a house in the Swedish archipelago called Smådalar, uh, and they have prostitutes there. And it's described in at least two books. And a couple of years ago, a guy is calling me up. And it says, did you write those books? And I said, yeah, it's me. And it says, you know that party you described? Yes, I say, I was there. And I go, but that, that's impossible because I made it up, you know. What are you talking about? And I said, what, what do you mean you made it up? I was at that party. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I say, well, it was fiction. It was my imagination. I don't know what you're talking about. So people tend to read into my books things that I didn't even mean to be there. And we also, I mean, we talked about what responsibility does the author have. And, I mean, my responsibility covers a certain area, but I cannot, you know, cover all different interpretations that people make on my books. It's impossible. Have you noticed the more that you spend time in your profession as a lawyer, you sit down with folks who have done bad things? folks who might be described <laughs> by the general populace as bad people because of what they do- they've done. Do you find in some cases that that ruins the work of other writers for you on occasion? Do you ever, are you ever reading something and you just say, hmm, I'm not sure that this writer knows bad people or knows exactly what they're talking about? Well, I think uh, a lot of my work ruins uh, the way I can read at least other Swedish authors, crime authors. First of all, the most obvious is that I know how the police work. Mm. 99% of all Scandinavian crime writers are very free when they describe police work. Mm. That's not a problem. It's up to, it's literature, it's fiction. You don't have to be true. But for me, I get very uh, annoyed when, you know, not even the basics, they don't even get the basics right, how the police detectives work and how... So, so I have a hard time reading Scandinavian crime fiction. Mm-hmm. I can read American crime fiction, but I don't know how uh, American policemen work. So, I, sure. so you, you don't know, have the similar frame of reference. I don't have a similar frame of reference. So that, that's more okay to me to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same goes for describing bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having said that, one have to realize that most Scandinavian crime fiction has a completely different plot than what you just described. Because you just described a plot that pushes itself forward. Mm-hmm. Something happened that affects something to happen, that affects something to happen, and that's the way you go through the plot. But the typical Scandinavian plot is a riddle that has to be solved. Who done it? So there's a murder at the start of the typical Scandinavian crime novel, and then at the end of the book you get the solution and you find the killer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Meaning the killer or the bad person or the criminal is it's not around. It's very absent from sure, the book. Sure. Sometimes you might have authors that try to get into the head and show a few chapters from the perspective of the bad person, but the bad person is never the main character. In my books, the bad person is always the main characters, or at least some of the main characters are always people that do bad things. Mm. So 
I come from a very different perspective writing, and I come from a very different perspective being a criminal defense lawyer uh, than most, at least, Scandinavian crime writers. Mm. So, yes, I have a very hard time reading Scandinavian crime writers, and I almost never do it. You know, a number of years ago, I found myself in a situation where I actually was in rooms with people who at one point in their lives may have done some very bad things. Uh, in fact, I knew... <laughs> I, I, there was a very dramatic step up, and I know I mentioned it earlier in terms of being called to this one particular meeting. And when that happened, before he started interrogating me, he said something very straightforward, which was, you will never know what I've done. Period. End of story. And that was very different, I think, from from the first few folks I had met who, who may have been willing to conflate or, or, or fantasize about, you know, I was bigger back in the day. Although I concern myself very deeply with voice in my fiction, I also try to be as visual as possible. And as a result, I think, I think part of my process is to be very discerning about what I consume and what I think is, is very solid and very strong uh, so that when I set out to, to really build these images, build, build these scenes, build this action in a reader's mind, you know, I feel like I, I need the right guides. You've just heard the first episode of the podcast Speaking of Stories with writers Ryan Gaddis and Jens Lapidus. Producer Henrik Jonsson, executive producer for Bonnier Publishing, Stephanie Tanquist. The music you've heard was You Harvest by IMU. Sound engineer Emil Drugge and my name is Sarah Gilliam. Mm-hmm.